This is from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And he made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him he has put him to grief. When, he, when his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and she shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall make his he shall sorry, and he shall divide his spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please be seated? Let me pray one more time. Heavenly Father. As we approach your holy word, Lord, we are standing on holy ground. And Lord, we trust, as you say also in the prophet Isaiah, that your word will accomplish that for which you sent it. And so, Lord, we pray that as your word goes out this evening, that it would go forth with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would work in hearts and minds and lives, that you would help us all to see who Christ truly is. You'd help us to respond to him in repentance and faith. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many people, if they want to understand what Christmas is all about, they will look to the New Testament, to the, to the Gospels, where the conception and birth of Jesus Christ is clearly described. But as we saw and heard in the children's play this evening, the gospel doesn't start in the New Testament. The gospel goes back. It goes all the way back. It goes back to the beginning. And so if people are going to, to look to the New Testament, they're going to look to passages like we heard this, this evening, like Luke 1, 26 to 35, 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. For behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and be called the Son of God Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So very clearly there we see in the Gospel of Luke a, a testimony of what was about to happen to Mary, that a virgin would conceive. This is unprecedented. This has never before happened in human history, and it has never happened since. Another key passage from the New Testament, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. We also heard some of this from the children. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Those are two very clear passages from the Gospels, from the New Testament, that declare the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The, 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 the conception of Jesus Christ in the womb of a virgin. The birth of Jesus Christ, also from a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And these, again, these are excellent passages, very, very fitting for this time of year. As they, they describe what took place 2,000 years ago in the incarnation when God took on human flesh and dwelt among men. As I said earlier, this, this evening I want to look further back, back to the Old Testament, back to the book of Isaiah. And the, the first two passages, the two first two verses I want to look at are, are two single verses, Isaiah 7, 14, and then Isaiah 9, 6. So this first one, Isaiah 7, 14, was actually quoted in Matthew 1, 23. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, it's a well-known fact that Isaiah wrote this in the 8th century B.C. 
It would be fully another 700 years before this would be fulfilled, somewhere around the, between the years 6 and 4 B.C. But this prophecy was indeed fulfilled. A virgin did conceive and bear a son. This was no ordinary birth. Jesus had a human mother, but Joseph was not his father. Joseph was his adopted father. God the Father was his father. Jesus Christ was fully man and also fully God. Isaiah continues, You shall call his name Emmanuel, which we see from Matthew means God with us. God was literally with human beings. In Christ, God is present with us. In Christ, God is, is with us, not against us. Now let's quickly look at Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Remember, this was written in, in somewhere around 700 B.C. 700 B.C., 700 years before these things took effect. So first, to us a son is given. The, the son that's given is God the Son. God the Son was given to us. We read about this in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the Son who is given. And you can see this all through the Gospel accounts, not just Matthew and Luke, but also in, in Mark and in John as well and, and elsewhere in the New Testament. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The, the government is on his shoulder. The government was on his shoulder. We, we think about Jesus at this time of year as, as a little baby, but... but let this bend your mind a little bit. That while Jesus Christ was there as that, that little child in the manger, he was also fully God. Somehow, God it came together as fully God and fully man. And so even there as that baby in a manger, he was upholding the universe with the word of his power. We don't worship merely a, a child in a manger. We worship the almighty God who took on flesh and dwelt among men, among women. In the first incarnation, Jesus came as a lowly servant, even though he was still the Lord and proved himself again and again to be the Lord as he showed himself to be sovereign over, over sickness, sovereign over, over disease, sovereign over the, the, very, the, the very forces of nature as he, as he calmed a storm with a word. Caused the disciples to marvel, saying, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? He was the ruler. He said in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We know that in the millennial reign of Christ, he will rule with a rod of iron. We can read about this in, in Psalm 2, verse 9, and also in Revelation 2, 27. We read in 1 Corinthians 15 to 25, for he must reign until he has put all enemies, all of his enemies under his feet. 
So we see that, that Jesus was in, indeed, the government was on his shoulder, but we also see that he's called the wonderful counselor. Isaiah 28, 29 says, says that this will also, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Again, all through the life of Jesus, he, he responded to his critics with a word and silenced them. He, he spoke words of comfort to, to those who were suffering, to those who were in anguish. And again and again, he, he showed his enemies, the, the religious leaders of the day, he showed them what the word of God truly meant. Now they twisted it and corrupted it. And now he brought the word of God to bear in its proper context, in the way it was meant to be understood. He taught people from his word. For Jesus Christ is indeed the eternal logos, the eternal word of God. He's also called not just Wonderful Counselor, but he's actually called Mighty God. 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son has come and has given to us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. And his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. We've seen that already, that, that when we worship God, we worship a triune God, one God in three persons. Now, people, this, this is understandably very challenging to, to our human fallen intellect to understand that God could somehow be, be one and yet three. This is not, this is not, uh, this is not idolatry. This is, this is not many gods. This is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and as we prayed to, God the Holy Spirit. God is triune, the triune God. He's also called Everlasting Father. Isaiah 63, 16. For you are our Father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our Father. Father, our Redeemer from of old is your name. Again, we see how this prophecy came 700 years before the birth of Christ. We see also that he is called, finally from this verse, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. This is another aspect that is, is very clear in the accounts of the Gospels. And in Luke 2, 13 to 14, the angels appeared to the shepherds and suddenly there was an angel, it, where there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Ephesians 2, 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So, so what is this peace that, that Jesus comes to bring as the, the prince of peace? Yes, there's a sense in which there's peace between, between man and man and Jesus Christ. As the, the wall of hostility that divided Jew and Gentile was, was broken down in Christ's flesh. But there's an infinitely greater peace that Jesus brings. An infinitely greater peace than peace with man and man. And then this takes us to Isaiah 53, the passage that I read for you earlier. This peace that we see that comes between God and man. For we are all born as rebels against God. 
Jesus said that the greatest commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your, of your strength. And if we realize what that means, we realize that none of us has ever done that even for a second. Loving God with everything that is in us all the time, all of our focus on worshiping him to the glory of his name, that is the standard to which we are all called. That is the standard to which we will all be judged. We realize that none of us have ever done this, not even once. That's why we see Isaiah 53, again, written 700 years before the incarnation of Christ. Very quickly, let's walk through it. Look at, at, at the letter half of verse 2. He had no form or majesty that we could look at him, no, no beauty that we should desire him. He, he came as, as a humble human being, as, as a mere servant. In fact, he's described as a, as a servant of servants who had became obedient, as we'll see in a moment, even to death on a cross. He was despised and rejected by men. We see this, you can read about it in the Gospels. All through his ministry, it was only a, a small number of people that, that truly followed him, that truly worshipped him. The religious authorities despised him. That The Roman occupiers of Israel despised him. He, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. See that at the beginning of, of verse 3. He knew pain. He knew desertion like, like, like nobody has ever known. Even before what was coming. He was despised of men. They hated him. Then begin to see in verses 4 to 6 the point of this rejection. Let me just read this, verses 4 to 6 again. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him, stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And here we begin to see the peace that Jesus Christ brought, brought and bought with his life. Peace between God and sinful men. This is the peace that we as Christians celebrate, not just at Christmas time, but every day. We spent our lives at war with God. Yet as we'll see, God made war with his own son so that he could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Look at verse 8. He was cut off from the land of the living. He was actually physically killed. They made his grave with the wicked. Verse 9, we can read about this in the Gospels, how, how he, they, 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 put him, they put his body in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a, a, a rich man in a, in a cave that had been, been hollowed out of the, gra of the ground. He was killed even though he had not done anything wrong. He's the only one who has never done anything wrong. He had lived his life in perfect obedience 
to that great commandment. He's the only one who ever loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is Jesus Christ. This is God incarnate. So this rejection of men, as I alluded to a moment ago, was not the worst rejection. Look back at verse 4 for a second. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We, we esteemed him that way because that's what happened. He was smitten by God. Verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. The Father poured out his just and holy wrath on his just and holy Son so that God could at the same time uphold his holiness and his righteousness and his justice. Yet at the same time, he could also pour out his love and his mercy and his grace on those for whom Christ died to save. If you want to understand who God is, look at the cross of Jesus Christ, for it's in the cross that we see God's attributes most clearly portrayed. This is a stumbling block for many people. They, they don't understand. They say, well, if, if Jesus was righteous, how is it that God could pour out his wrath on him? How is it that God could punish a just and righteous man? And in one sense, they're right. Deuteronomy 21-23 says that a hanged man, a man who is hanged on the tree, is cursed by God. What people who don't understand is that Jesus was cursed by God. That on the cross, he poured out all of his wrath the wrath that you and I deserved for those people for whom he came to die. The Apostle Paul references this in, in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus was cursed by God. Another illustration of this, and it when, when the people complained and, and God sent, when the people of Israel complained and God sent fiery serpents among them, what, what did God command Moses to do? To, to make a bronze serpent and put it up on the pole so that when the people looked at this bronze serpent, they would be healed. Jesus Christ was the serpent who was put on the pole. He became guilty for us. He bore our guilt on the cross. He was the sin bearer who became cursed for us so that we could receive the blessings of God. Jesus Christ died as an offering for guilt. These things were written 700 years before the incarnation of Christ, 2,700 years ago, and they are just as true today as on that day when they were first written down by the prophet Isaiah. So yes, we consider the incarnation, the birth of Christ at Christmas, but it's something that, it's something that Christians remember every day, not just that one day a year. But again, we, we don't just worship a baby in a manger. We worship Jesus Christ, the God-man, 
So the ultimate point of, of Christmas is not the incarnation. It's the crucifixion. But we also know that the crucifixion was not the end of the story. Read on in Isaiah 53, verse 10. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. This is a reference to the resurrection. Jesus Christ did not stay dead. It was impossible for death to hold him. Peter tells about this in, in Acts 2, 20, 22 to 24. He says, men of Israel... This is just after the, this is, um, just after the, 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 the day of Pentecost when the, when the church was, was first born. Men of Israel, hear these days, or hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and signs and wonders that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So what's the point of Christmas? The birth, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what Christians celebrate at Christmas and every day of the year. Let's pray together. Lord, we marvel when we consider the, omnip the omniscient wisdom of the gospel that only you, Heavenly Father, could think of a way to justify sinful men and women, to pronounce those who are guilty to be innocent, to be righteous, and yet preserving your holiness and your justice your righteousness. You did this by sending your son who lived the righteous life that we could never live and died the death that we deserve to die and rose again on that third day to demonstrate that you were satisfied with his offering for our sin. And so Lord, we pray that that this Christmas and, and every day, all of us here would remember this gospel and find life in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask this in the unsurpassed name of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Amen.